You are listening to the Liminal Living Podcast. Welcome back to the Liminal Living Podcast. I'm your curator of conversation, Tom Rundell. Thank you for joining us for our Shalom and Salvation series. This is part three today, and we are ready to jump right into our content. But first, a recap of where we have been. Uh, We are exploring the Old Testament concept of shalom. Shalom is the word peace in the uh, translated into English, but it's so much bigger than that because our idea of peace is just an absence of conflict. And uh, that's just not what shalom is. That's not what peace is. Shalom in the Old Testament is the universal flourishing of all of God's creation functioning as it was intended to function. Of course, there was this sin that entered into God's creation through us and totally broke down God's shalom. Uh, But shalom was being restored through Jesus and what he did. We talked about that last week. Go check it out. It was really good. Got a lot of great feedback on that. Today we're talking about um, another form of shalom. Uh, If you remember, we broke Shalom up into three sections. Even though Shalom is going to be way bigger than these three, we're taking these three because Jesus said in the great commandment, the the greatest command is to love the Lord your God, and the second has just as much weight or is equally important, that you must love your neighbor as yourself. And so there's these three spheres of love, love of God, love of others, and love of self that are tied together. It's actually one love. Uh, You can't separate the two. You can't hate yourself and love your neighbor. You can't hate your neighbor and love your God. Um, And obviously you can't hate hate God and love others and self. So there's, they're, they're all tied together. They're one love and you can't separate them. And one can't grow without the others uh, growing with it. So if you're lacking in one, it affects the others. But the danger when we start talking about love of self uh, is that we get into this real individualistic uh, pursuit of my own comfort and power and like a self-infatuation, which is like, that's just selfishness. That's not a love, that's selfishness. And so we're not talking about that. We're talking about a peace with self, a shalom with self, a confidence in our vocation, our voice, our identity that we have found in God. We talked about that last week in Soteria, finding the identity in God. Uh, so we have that salvation, and then it, it deepens a peace with who God made us to be, and then that blesses out in the world. So the Greek word for this uh, is teleos. Teleos is maturity or completion, uh, perfection, holiness. And this word is used to translate shalom in the Old Testament in a few places. And so when Jesus says, uh, you need to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, In the Greek, that's you need to be teleos, as your heavenly father is teleos. In the Hebrew, that could read, uh, you need to have shalom like your heavenly father has shalom. And then another place in Matthew where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, uh, what do I need to have teleos or shalom? And Jesus says, if you want to be shalom or have teleos, uh, you need to sell all you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. That's what he needed at that time that would bring shalom to his life. And the kind of shalom it would bring was the teleos shalom. And so the shalom is a 
is more than personal morality or personal holiness. It is being at peace with who God made you to be, finding that unique identity, that unique imprint you have with your life upon this world in the kingdom of God. And when you, when you have that, uh, it, your, your whole faith comes from a deep interior place that is very natural and has nothing to do with exterior conformity and everything to do with letting the Holy Spirit guide and direct and empower your life. Now, how can we do this? There's the Shema. If you remember the Shema uh, from Deuteronomy, the, the Israelites had to pray the Shema every day, uh, sometimes multiple times a day. And that the Shema prayer uh, was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And that idea of the oneness of God was then uh, brought into the New Testament where we have the Trinity where we have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet they are one, and they are still one. They have this unity within diversity. Now, if we're to be teleos, like our Heavenly Father is teleos, or perfect, or mature, or complete, uh, then we also need to be one. What does that mean? Now, as you go about your day, I'm sure a lot of people have different hats. You go to work, and you have responsibilities at work. You come home, you have responsibilities at home. You go out, with friends, you have responsibilities with friends. The problem comes in our modern day uh, lives is that we become different people for these different roles. And then we start believing that we are these different people at these different roles. And we're not operating from our true identity that God has given us, but we're operating out of what we perceive other people want us to be. And this is not a maturity of our faith because our faith calls us into our vocation and the the word vocation is where we get our word voice so each person has their own unique voice vocation calling into this world that we are to fulfill and when we start becoming different people uh, to fulfill the expectations of people around us then we deny our vocation we deny our unique God-given identity and how he wants us to heal and bless the world. Really, the only thing that we can offer somebody when we deny our vocation and we start running with uh, their expectations is the only thing we can do is impress other people. We cannot heal them because it's, uh, our life is so disconnected from who we are at that point that uh, it has no power to bring any healing. We just might look pretty awesome to other people. Jesus says a lot about that, about re you have received your reward. If you gave just to get the applause, then you have received the reward you were looking for. And so we've divided up all of our life into these different compartments and sealed them off. And then what happens when we hear the gospel? We hear the gospel and... Uh, it is, hey, this compartment I'm handing you called the gospel in your spiritual life, this is way more important than all those other compartments. And you have to do a really good job of keeping this compartment separate from those compartments because those are not holy and this one is holy. And so keep everything separate but pay most attention to this. And the problem with that, obviously, is that uh, it disconnects faith from life, theology from life. It disconnects um, theology from spirituality, uh, how we practice that theology. 
And it causes us to have a church face at church and a home face at home and a work face at work and not ever really operate out of that identity that God has given us. And so we need to hear the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And we are created in the image of God and we need to hear. Um, we need to be like God. We need to be... Uh, we need to be teleos like our Heavenly Father is teleos. And we need to be at peace with the vocation God has given us, with the identity that He's given us, with the voice He has gifted us with, so that we're not divided up into all these different compartments all over the place. And so what we have to do, the most important task the Christian has, is to bring together our distracted identity our compartmentalized life, and recover some kind of unity to our lives, to become one like our Heavenly Father is one, to operate out of one core, out of one value, out of one rule of life. Thomas Merton puts it beautifully. He says, This means that you have to bring back together the fragments of your distracted existence so that when you say, I, there is really someone present to support the pronoun you have just uttered. And this is hard work to find out what our vocation is. It is deep soul work, and it, it takes tons of courage because it doesn't impress everybody all the time. And it doesn't, it doesn't win over the 2% of the haters that we have out there. And it takes a lot of courage to live out our vocation. It's not the easy path whatsoever. It's not the... Uh, who cares about you, I'm just living my own thing, beating my own drum, kind of a path. Uh, it is living your life true to yourself, which means you have to listen to your soul, and you have to go against the grain and sw swim upstream. And that is really, really hard. And oftentimes the reason we don't do it is because we are not at peace with ourselves. There's some things in our biography that we're mistaking for our identity, there's some things in our lives that happened in our past that we're ashamed of, that we're guilty, that we hate these parts of us. But what happens when we don't integrate that into our story and let God redeem those things and we just ignore them, what happens is they start to go sour inside of our soul and then we start to hate that portion of ourselves. And then what happens with that hatred is it goes aimed outwards. And now those things that really irritate us in life if we really look closely at the roots to those people that irritate us, to those, um, those actions that irritate us, the things that we hate out there, um, the roots of that hatred are going to come from a lack of peace, a lack of shalom with our own selves. We have not integrated into our um, identity uh, our past. And this is also challenging because we have to stare our failures in the face and bring them before God in confession. And that is so difficult because we're so afraid of looking at that portion of ourselves. But if we don't allow God to transform our pain, we transmit it unto the, those around us and especially those closest to us. I think a really good biblical story that illustrates this really well is John 4 the woman at the well. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about how Genesis is the key to understanding uh, the gospel of John. And so this, this story here, the woman at the well, has its roots in Genesis. Now, the overview of the story, there's a woman 
a Samaritan woman, Jesus stops at a well and they have a conversation. And uh, it comes out in that conversation that she has been with six men in her life. She was married to five of them and the one she's with now is not her husband. And that's the, the story. Now we we often think that this is the story of the woman looking for love in all the wrong places. But I want to challenge that. I don't think it is. I think she is a a reflection of a story out of Genesis. If you remember, smack in the middle of the Joseph story, there's this Tamar character who is, um, she's a childless widow. And what is supposed to happen is Judah is supposed to give uh, a brother to this woman to marry so that she can have a child in her dead husband's name. That's called leveret marriage. And back in these days, if you were a childless widow, you were pretty much reduced to beggar status. And so kindness said, we need to provide a child to this uh, childless widow so that there is someone to carry on the family name, to support her, to grow her crops for her, to keep the land and all the property in the name of the family. It was just how you kept things moving. Family lines were really important back in these days. And if you didn't have a child, that was really rough news because that's pretty much your 401k account. And so she didn't have one. Judah withholds uh, a husband from her, a leveret husband. And so she uh, gets naked, stands on the side of the road with her head covered, pretends to be a prostitute, sleeps with Judah, gets pregnant, And then when it's found out she's pregnant, uh, nobody knows it was Tamar on the side of the road, but uh, she says, actually, this is Judah's child. And Judah gets called out and he says, yeah, she's more righteous than I am. She's correct. So she takes her own uh, world into her hands and says, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to suffer because these people are not being fair, not being righteous, not giving me justice. And so here we have this woman, she's been married five times. Now, that's totally unusual in this realm, in this age. It doesn't happen. So a lot of scholars believe that she was married five times within the same family, and they all kept dying, and they couldn't provide her with a child. And so she, like Tamar, says, I'm taking my life into my own hands, and I'm going to go out of the family to get me a child, which that was the sinful action. That was outside of God's uh, Levitical law. But even that doesn't do it. That doesn't provide her with uh, children. So she's been with six men. And six in the Hebrew is the number of incompletion. And Jesus, the seventh man, which is in, the, in the Hebrew is the number of perfection, teleos, completion. And he's, he says, I'm the Messiah. And she runs and tells the Samaritan village and brings back the whole village and all of a sudden spiritual children are all around her. And she has this peace with now with who she is and it blesses the world all around her. That's the beautiful story of Telias. We'll see you next week for Irene.